0: Let me ask you to direct your attention now to the passage which comes from Revelation chapter one. This is our third week in the book of Revelation, the third of many. We move out of the first three verses and into the rest of chapter one this morning. Let me ask you if you're able, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. It can be found in your bulletin or you could follow along in your own Bibles. This morning as we read this passage you'll see a lot of what we've talked about the last two weeks. You'll see vivid imagery from the Old Testament. You'll see the Lord Jesus Christ being depicted in this vision. You you will see a a lot of uh, of what we've spoken about, and you will see how this theme will now be developed in the rest of the book of Revelation. So would you give your attention to the reading of God's Word in Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. John, to the seven churches Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Would you please be seated, and would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that you have given this vision, this revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to your Apostle John. We ask this morning, as we look together at this, your word, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you be with us this morning? Would you sanctify us through your word? Would you be glorified in all that we say and do? In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we ask all of this, amen. Well, I get my hair cut each month at one of those big box cutter hair stores where you get your hair cut. And, uh, it's kinda nice, you're in and out like 15 minutes, Uh, Sometimes you get a really good haircut, sometimes not so much, but that's part of the thrill of the unexpected. And I've noticed every time I go to get my hair cut, depending on who the hairdresser is, sometimes uh, there's a lot of conversation, sometimes there's no conversation. Sometimes you don't talk, and you're able to kind of rest and just get your hair cut. Sometimes there's a lot of conversation. I remember this one time I was getting my hair cut by this uh, woman, and as she was cutting my hair, she was telling me all about her life. And every detail she told me about her parents and her upbringing she told me about her brother who was in prison and uh, about some of the bad choices that he had made and then she told me about herself and how she was a hard working mother caring for her children she was trying to do things right and i, I remarked to her i said well, it's, it's it's very interesting how you turned out so much different than your brother he's in jail and you're a law abiding citizen who's doing what you need to do to take care of your family it's it's very interesting and she said something to me I'll, I'll never forget because I've never heard it put quite like this, but it very it stood out in my mind. She said, "Well, you know what they say," and I, I didn't know what they say, so that, you know. But she said, "You know what they say: the same boiling water that hardens the egg softens the potato." And my, and my mind was blown. I had never heard it put quite like that. I got my money's worth that day, and I got my haircut. The same boiling water that hardens the egg softens the potato. What does she mean? The same circumstance, the same event, the same thing that happens. It, it, it works two different results in two different people. Only God knows how. And this morning as we look at this vision in Revelation chapter 1, let me tell you, this vision is simply about this. The same boiling water that hardens the egg, softens the potato. What do I mean by that? The same Lord Jesus Christ described in Revelation chapter 1 will produce two very different responses in two different groups of people the same lord jesus christ who will make some to fear and tremble to fall down will make others to rise up in great hope and confidence and that's what we'll see in revelation chapter one this first vision this morning as we look at it in this passage okay now on the insert in your bulletin it's a two-point outline And we're going to do the second point first, and then the first point. You're probably wondering, how does he keep messing up these outlines? Uh, I go through the week, and uh, later in the week, I'm like, ah, I should rearrange those. And the outline's already made. I'm sorry. Not a big deal, though. We'll do the second point first, and then the first point, okay? And there are two images that we see in Revelation chapter 1 in this vision. We see the image of the uh, one who's like a son of man, and we're going to talk about that person. And then we see an image of these golden lampstands, and we're going to talk about those lampstands, okay, in that order. First of all, one who's like a son of man, and then the golden lampstands. So what we first see is we see in verses 12 through 16, this description of one who is like a son of man. And if we had the time this morning, if time was of of no account, we could just sit here for hours, we would go back through all of the Old Testament passages where we see this similar vision of one who is like a son of man because uh, this image, this character, appears throughout the Old Testament scriptures. But what I want to do this morning instead is I've, I've, I've kind of charted it out, so I'd like to talk about some of the highlights of those Old Testament passages so that we can better understand what's happening in this vision in Revelation chapter one. Now, if you're in the back and you're saying, I can't see what's on the whiteboard, that's okay. Later this week, I'm going to send out this as a PDF, and you can look it on your computer, you can read it, and everybody will be able to see it. And this morning, though, if you can't see it, I'll talk you through it. Okay. So there are a number of passages in Old Testament scriptures that are very similar to the description we see in Revelation chapter one. Here's Revelation one. Okay. All these characteristics, but we see in two different visions that Daniel has in Daniel chapter 10 beginning in verse 5, Daniel chapter 7 beginning in verse 9, very similar descriptions, uh, very similar to what we see in Revelation chapter 1, and then importantly in Ezekiel chapter 1 beginning in verse 25, we see a very similar vision. As you'll notice, these are other prophets, okay? Ezekiel and Daniel, they're also receiving a vision. And in each of their visions, we see many of the same characteristics. So we begin in Revelation chapter 1, it says that John saw one who was like a son of man. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel describes him as one who looked like a man. In Daniel chapter 7, he says he's one who resembles a son of man. And then Ezekiel chapter 1, he says he is one who had the likeness of a man. You see, each of the prophets, when they received their vision, they saw a being uh, that appeared to be a divine being, but strangely to them, he also had the appearance of a man. And so this is their way of describing that the vision they saw was one who appeared at least to have a human likeness, a human resemblance. The second thing we see in Revelation chapter one is a description of what the, the one who's like the son of man was wearing. John says that he wore a robe that extended all the way to the floor, okay? It's exactly what Daniel says in chapter 10. He saw that one who appeared to be a a man wearing a robe that extended to the floor. That description coupled together with the golden sash, which is seen in Daniel 10 and Revelation chapter 1, is a very important description of what the high priest would have worn. Okay, So when we hear that he wore a long robe and extended to the floor, that he's wearing a golden sash, we know that not only the original audience, but John, who's receiving the vision, would have said, Wait a second. That appears to be the high priest, okay? This person appears to have a high priestly function. He's wearing the priest's robe. He's wearing the priest's golden sash. So we see that in Daniel chapter 10 and Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, John says that he sees this figure having white hair, white like snow, he says. It's the same description that's used in Daniel chapter 7, the one that we read this morning, the Old Testament reading, okay? that depiction of white hair, you pick up the Proverbs, you'll find, is a description of one who has wisdom, okay? So we have an, an image, an allegory, a symbol that's being used and, uh, to describe this one, like a son of man, uh, functioning as a high priest, being wise in all that he does. The next description in Revelation chapter 1 is that he had eyes of fire, like flame. This is uh, the, the, the fire, the flames is present in all four of these visions. In Ezekiel chapter 1 and in Daniel 7, there's fire kind of all around. There's fire around this character, and there's fire coming forth from different things that he's doing. But in Daniel chapter 10 and in Revelation chapter 1, the vision gets taken even one step further. And not only is there fire around him in Daniel 10, but there's, he has eyes of flame. And this is what John sees in Revelation chapter 1. Fire being the picture of a, a, a consuming a consuming characteristic, one that is piercing and devouring. It's a depiction of one who has eyes of flame. It's a depiction of one who can see all things, who knows the heart of men, who can discern the beginning from the end, okay? And so that's the depiction in Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation 1, it says that he has bronze feet, bronze feet. You're going to find out in a second what those bronze feet are for. But i'll leave you in a little bit of suspense right now okay daniel chapter 10 it says that he had the appearance of bronze in ezekiel 1 ezekiel says he was gleaming like fine metal which is kind of like bronze in my mind all right but we see that he's got this metallic appearance uh, appearance. again there's something solid there's something concrete about that there's something that that is not moved that is not phased and we'll talk about again what it means that his feet were of bronze The next description we see there is that he had a voice like rushing water. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 10 that it was a sound of a great multitude. Uh, Ezekiel says in chapter 1 that it was a sound of a great rushing water. And again, we we pick up the Old Testament Scriptures, we see in these visions of the living God, we see the sounds that are accompanied, and they are always these great, mighty, triumphant sounds that make their hearers kind of cower whether it's described as a waterfall or a rushing water or a great wind or a great multitude or an eruption, we we see that depiction again and again in the Old Testament Scriptures. Then John sees two things that don't really appear in any of the visions of the Old Testament prophets. You see, the the man is holding seven stars in his hand, and then he sees a two-edged sword that comes from his mouth. That's more of a New Testament picture, isn't it? Uh, The two-edged sword, the word of God, which is able to discern between bone and marrow, to divide between soul and spirit. It's the same sword that Paul says in Ephesians 6 that the saints of God are to equip themselves with, okay? This is the sword that John sees coming from the mouth of this one who is like a son of man. I won't talk too much about the sword because you'll also see what the sword is used for in a moment. Finally, John says that his appearance, his face was like the sun. Daniel 10, he says it was like lightning, very similar yet different. And Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel says that he had this bright, shining radiance, okay? What, what I hope you'll see this morning is that the Old Testament prophets who received these visions are talking about the very same thing that John is seeing in his revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Okay. That as Christ reveals these things to John, he witnesses the very same things that Daniel saw in his visions, that Ezekiel saw in chapter 1. And what is he seeing? Namely, we know from the Old Testament prophets that these are theophanies, they're revelations of the living God. But what's more, as we read Revelation 1, we know that this is not simply a revelation of God generally, but rather this is a revelation of the second person of the Trinity, isn't it? of Jesus Christ himself. We know that for a variety of reasons, okay? Not not only the description that we see here, he's one like a son of man. You know, Daniel and Ezekiel, when they receive that vision, they're probably saying, why does God look like a man? I don't get it, but I'll write it down. We know, as the New Testament's fulfilled, we know that Jesus Christ takes on the the likeness of a man. He comes in true God, very very God of very God, becomes very man of very man, okay? And so he's got the appearance of, of one like a son of man. But we also know, because John, uh, Jesus clarifies after, right? Puts his hand on John's shoulder, and he, then he describes himself. I, I'm the one who was dead, but I'm alive. I'm the one who holds the keys to Hades and to death. Right? That's me, okay? So we have here a vision of Jesus Christ. Now think about this. This is the first time that John, the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, actually sees Jesus for who he is. Isn't that amazing? John, who walked with Christ for three years, okay, John who saw him transfigured on the mount, John who witnessed the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, this is the first time he sees Christ Jesus for who he actually is, okay, what he's witnessing in this vision is not Jesus as he looks like, it is Jesus as he actually is, okay, it's a a description of Christ, who he actually is, and it's vivid, and it's powerful, and it's miraculous, and it's wonderful, and it inspires all in the human heart. And that begs a very important question, so let me ask it. As we're going through the book of Revelation, it's very important for us to ask, what is God trying to work into our hearts, okay? That's why we have the imagery the allegory, the, the symbolism, as God is describing in this image a very powerful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is He trying to accomplish in the hearts of His followers? What is He trying to evoke from us? What is He trying to produce in us? What is He trying to stir up in our hearts? It's a good question, okay? I think as we look at this passage, we must first admit that God is trying to first evoke a sense of fear and trembling. Isn't that right? Who can, who can look at this vision? Who could see this with their own eyes and, and not have fear and trembling in their hearts? So, God is first trying to evoke or produce in our hearts a very real view of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in so doing, produce fear and trembling in our hearts. This is why John does what he does, doesn't he? That's why John does what he does. You think, what is God trying to produce in our hearts? Well, what is John's first response? I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's Daniel's first response in Daniel chapter 10. They do the same exact thing. What's with these gods? They get a revelation of the living God. They see him in all of his power and his might and his wonder. And what do they do? They fall on the floor. Daniel says in Daniel 10 that he fell on the floor and he fainted. John says that when he witnessed these things, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You know why John fell on his feet as though dead? You know why Daniel fainted when he received the vision, Daniel chapter 10? For them, it's like a nuclear bomb just went off. They they have been brought face to face with the living God, and they're like, oh no, I'm in the presence of God. And all and wonder and fear and trembling are struck in their hearts and they're almost like running looking for something to hide under. Get me away from the living God for he is an all-consuming fire. No one can stand before him. No one can witness him with their eyes. There are none who are like him. He is the living God and this is not good for me. And so John falls on his face as if dead. This vision of the Lord Jesus Christ is meant to strike fear and trembling in the hearts of those who see him. But let me tell you something, okay? This is why I said Jesus is like the boiling water that hardens the egg and softens the potato. There are two appropriate responses to this vision, okay? One we will see in a second. For those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus touches John on his shoulder and he says, do not fear. John rises in hope and with confidence, and we'll talk about that in a second. But for those who are not in Christ Jesus, for those who have not trusted him by faith, for those who are of the world, who are in rebellion to the living God, for those who have want nothing to do with Christ Jesus, for them... This vision ought to strike fear and trembling in their hearts. So the the message for them in this passage is very simple. If you will not have Christ as your king and as your high priest, you will have him as your judge. He will be your judge. For them, this vision is of the vicar of judgment, the one who brings judgment with him. That's why John said in verse seven, as he's introducting, introducing the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why he says the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. They will cry out in anguish on account of him. And you, you might be wondering, well, how do you know that? How do you know that this is what's being communicated by, by this vision? How do you know that that's what God is communicating this message of judgment. Well, let me tell you how we know. This this character that is described in Revelation chapter one, this exact description of him, this will not appear again in the book of Revelation until the 19th chapter. Okay, so here he's revealed and then we're gonna see a number of other visions, but we'll never see this exact figure until Revelation 19, okay? So the next time that we find this one like the son of man is in Revelation 19, and let me read you what it says about him in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. You could follow along if you'd like. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Okay, so now he's on a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Okay, so there's a little hint. What is he doing? He's judging and making war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Those are crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe, but look at the robe here. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now look at this. What's the sword from his mouth for? What's the bronze feet for? Look at what it says. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. There's judgment. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress. There's the feet of bronze. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The introductory vision that John gets in chapter 1 is first and foremost of the living God who will judge the nation those who've rebelled against him he will move forth in judgment against the nations and he will trample out the winepress with the feet of bronze and he will bring the double-edged sword against them in wrath and none can stand against them for them they should see this vision of the lord jesus christ and they should have fear and trembling in their hearts. That day will not be a good day for them. Listen to how Jonathan Edwards described this in one of his sermons. He said, Christ has this honor of being the judge of the world given to him as a suitable reward for his suffering. This is a part of Christ's exaltation. He who appeared in such a low estate amongst mankind without form or comeliness having His divine glory veiled, should appear amongst men a second time in His own proper majesty and glory without a veil, to the end that those who saw Him here at the first as a poor, frail man, not having where to lay His head, subject to much hardship and affliction, may see Him the second time in power and great glory." invested with the glory and the dignity of the absolute Lord of heaven and earth, and that he who once tabernacled with men and was despised and rejected may have the honor of arranging all men before his throne and judging them with respect to the eternal estate. God seeth meet that he who was once arraigned before the judgment seat of men and was uh, there most vilely treated, being mocked, spit upon, and condemned, and who was at last crucified, should be rewarded by having those very persons brought to his tribunal, that they may see him in glory and be confounded, that he may have the disposal of them for all eternity. First, Christ Jesus is revealed as a great judge. And if they will not have him as priest and as king, they will have them have him as their judge. But the second thing we see even more significant for us is that for followers of Christ, the fear and trembling that we immediately feel, as we see this in this vision, ought to be replaced with great confidence and hope, okay? Again, we see that in verse 17. Verse 17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. It's another important question we have to ask. Why does John, why does Jesus say to John, fear not. Everything John has just seen doesn't communicate to him, fear not. It uh, it communicates that you ought to fear, you stand before the living God, and yet Jesus says to him, fear not. Why does Christ say to John, fear not? You see, the thing that we see in this vision is very simply put like this. Same sword that comes from his mouth that is being used to judge the nations is the sword that defends the people of God. The same bronze feet that is trampling out the grapes in the winepress of the wrath of God, those same feet bowed from heaven to come as a servant and to save those who are lost. The same thundering voice that makes heaven and earth tremble is the same voice that says to John, Fear not. See, the followers of Jesus Christ ought not fear because they have been reconciled to God. They have been made right and they appear righteous before Him. By the blood of the Lamb, which we will see in this book, by the blood of the Lamb, they have been made right with the living God. And they now can boldly approach his throne. And so for that reason, Jesus says to John, fear not. You see, what we see in this passage is that the more we see Christ Jesus, the more we find out about ourselves, okay? The more we see of the Son of Man, the more we find out about us. And there's some very significant things that we learn in this passage about us, okay? So the vision of the Son of Man, that is is the second person of the Trinity. That is Jesus Christ himself. But we find ourselves in these lampstands, okay? Yeah, he's the almighty, the powerful, and we're the lampstands. And so as we, we read about the lampstands, we will find out some very important characteristics of the church. There's not much that this passage says about those lampstands. If you begin reading in verse 12, you'll find out a few things. We we know the substance of them. They're golden lampstands. We know that the number of them, there are seven of them. And we know that Jesus says in verse 20, these lampstands represent the church, okay? The seven churches, first and foremost, to whom this letter is written. And then broadly, this is applied to the church at large, okay? So we see here a depiction of the church, And what we have to do is, just as we did with the Son of Man, we have to go back into the Old Testament Scriptures and we have to say, what is being described here? What would the original audience have heard as they looked at and and witnessed and heard read aloud this picture of the seven lampstands? Well, here's what they would have heard. The Old Testament has maybe 20 or less references to lampstands, so there's not many. You could word search it, you'd find it. And 99% of all the occurrences happen in four chapters, four passages of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 35, Uh, Kings and Chronicles, talking about the temple, Zechariah chapter 4, which is important for our passage this morning, and then Revelation chapter 1. So when they heard of golden lampstands, their attention would have been drawn to these passages. So what's happening in these passages? Exodus chapter 25, God took his people out of Egypt. He told them to build a tabernacle there to house the Ark of the Covenant. This is where I will meet with my people. And he's describing all the accoutrements, the settings of, of, the, of the tabernacle. And he says to them, make a golden lampstand. And, and so it's a golden lampstand, just like the one we see this morning. It is one lampstand with seven lamps. And he says to them, here's the purpose. It is to give light in the tabernacle of God. It is so that you might see all that is in the tabernacle of God, all right? And that is supposed to light the tabernacle both day and night. Uh, So you fast forward. Where do we see lampstands again? We see them in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles. There, Solomon is building the temple. Uh, God commands him to put these golden lampstands in the temple. He, He builds 10 of them. He places them in the temple. They are golden lampstands. They are one lampstand with seven lamps on them. As you've seen before, the menorah, okay? And and it says in Kings and Chronicles that the purpose there, slightly different but still very similar, is that these lamps are to burn with radiance before the living God. They're, they're there to glorify God. All right, and they're, again, there to burn day and night. So then you fast forward. No more lampstands throughout the entire Old Testament until we get to Zechariah. Zechariah has a vision of a golden lampstand, okay? And here's what's happening. The people are returning from Babylon. They're trying to rebuild the temple, and they're like, this isn't working, we gotta, we gotta figure out something. Zechariah, inquirer of God. And so the temple's not being built, and they're frustrated. And, and God gives to Zechariah a vision. And what does Zechariah see? He sees a, a golden lampstand, one lampstand with seven lamps on it, and it says that he saw lips above each lamp. And Zechariah's like, what in the world is going on? Okay, And so Zechariah asks God, he says, God, what, what's this vision? I don't understand. And God says to Zechariah something very important. He says, Zechariah, this is the spirit of the Lord. And my temple will be rebuilt, but it will not be rebuilt by hands or by the power of man, but by the Spirit of the Lord who will build a temple of praise. Okay? So that's what happens in Zechariah. And Zechariah walks away saying, okay, uh, the vision I received is that God will not build by hands or by power of man, but by the Spirit of God, he will rebuild a temple of praise. I don't know what that means, but here's the vision. And he writes it down, and he gives it to the people. Okay? So that's what we have about lampstands. Golden lampstands, that's it the Old Testament. Then we get to Revelation chapter one, and what does John see? He sees golden lampstands, okay? And so as he sees these golden lampstands, and he begins to see what God is doing, there's a number of things that are being worked out that the original audience would have been aware of that we ought to also be aware of. First of all, God tells us, this is the church. These lampstands are a representation, a picture, a symbol of the church. But we connect these to the Old Testament scriptures, and it's like, lights are going off in our minds, okay? First of all, golden lampstand, the Spirit of God rebuilding a temple, and the people are saying, how are you gonna rebuild a temple? We haven't seen it yet. Where where is it at? Uh, The second temple, not quite as great as the first. God's gonna rebuild a temple one day, but really what's happening in the New Testament, we know God is rebuilding a temple of praise through the church, that the Spirit of God who dwells in the church is building within us the temple of God, that each one of us is the temple. So wow, there's a connection between Zechariah and Revelation, we know that from the New Testament scriptures. We also can find any number of encouragements and exhortations as we look at what's happening in the tabernacle and the temple. I'll give you an example of that. God has described us as a golden lampstand that would sit in the tabernacle and the temple. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that we're to burn with radiance before the living God. Right? He's just—he has just taken an image from the Old Testament, shadowy image that was meant to give something of the, the, the New Testament uh, reality, and he's taking that and he's saying, this is the church. We're to burn with radiance before the living God. We're to shed light on the glory of God, right? That is part of the role of the church in this world. We point people to God. We're to say, this is our God. Look at his glory. Look at his beauty. We shine light on God. As the Spirit of God works through us. Okay, So there's any number of good exhortations and encouragements that can be drawn from this imagery. But let me tell you what I think is the most important of all. I, I think when John got this vision, he was probably saying, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, and then something strange happens in the vision. I wanna explain that. There's something that probably didn't make sense to John. Okay, Because I told you, this is what we have in the Old Testament imagery, again and again, This is the golden candle that's being described. You recognize it. It's the menorah. It's the golden candle that's being described in all those passages. I didn't realize, you you might not realize this either, I didn't realize how big this was. Five feet tall by three feet wide in the temple. It was like a, it was like a grown person, okay? They're in the temple. This is the, this is. At the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., the events that are happening, and this is talking about the book of Revelation, when the temple is destroyed, you know what the historians say? The most prominent thing they carried from the temple was the menorah. They carried it all the way back to Rome. They put it in the Temple of Peace in Rome, and it sat there from 70 A.D. until 455 A.D. There, the menorah from the temple. Amazing. This is what John is expecting to see in his vision. Golden lampstand, yeah, I get it. The menorah, but what does he see? The description is very different. What he describes to us is seven individual lampstands, okay? Would have looked kind of like this, I think. Seven individual lampstands. There's their lamps. They're lit, all right? And, and John would have said, wait a second. That's not one lampstand with seven lamps. That's seven lampstands. This all kind of fit except for this part. Now, I have to tell you something. Many artists' renderings of this vision, they draw these seven lamps in a circle and there is the Son of Man standing in the middle, okay? I don't think that's what it looked like, actually. I think what it looked like was seven lampstands like this, okay? And I think the Son of Man was standing like right here. And why do I think that? I think the description he gives is that the seven lampstands are there and then in the midst of them is one like the Son of Man. The word in the midst means right in the middle of. It's the word that's used to talk about midnight, Okay. Midnight, right in the middle of the night. I think the picture that he receives is seven lampstands that have as their base the Son of Man. Okay? So he sees not the traditional menorah, but he sees seven lampstands that are rooted into, that are connected to, that find their source in the the Son of Man who's revealed here. So that John says, wait a second. That's not one golden lampstand, that's seven lampstands that are connected to this one who appears to be the Son of Man. I tell you this morning, I think that's the most significant takeaway from Revelation chapter one, why? Because the most important message, I believe that's being revealed in Revelation one is that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who ought to strike fear and trembling in the heart, is being revealed here as the source, the sustenance, the hope, the only anchor of the church. As we said last week, those believers in Asia Minor who were suffering persecution, who thought they might be beheaded or burned at the stake or fed to the lions or the, the wild dogs or boiled in water, who were being hunted for their lives, who had very real questions at that moment, Jesus Christ is revealed to them as the one who is in their midst, the one that they're deeply and intimately connected with, rooted into that he is their hope, that he is their sustenance. No matter what fear strikes their heart, no matter what trials they face in their lives, here he is as revealed as their only hope in life and death. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. A.W. Pink put it like this. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. His government is exercised over inanimate matter, over the brute beast, over the children of men, over angels, good and evil, over Satan himself. No revolving of a world, no shining of a star, no storm, no movement of a creature, no actions of men, no errands of angels, no deeds of the devil, nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed it. Here is our foundation for faith. Here is a resting place for the intellect. Here is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. It is not blind fate, unbridled evil, man or devil, but the almighty Lord who is ruling the world, ruling it according to his own good pleasure and for his own eternal glory. This is our God. This is our Savior. And he has said to us, fear not. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Christian, what more do we need? What more could we want? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we, we thank you, our Lord and our God, that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that not only did he humble himself in obedience, coming as a baby, living a life in this world of suffering, of temptation, and trials. Submitting himself to death on the cross, but we thank you that as he resurrected and ascended on high, that we have now seen a vision of him as he truly is. And so we ask, our Father, that you would give us eyes to see, that we would see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Mighty One, the One who is worthy of our praise and our honor and our worship, but also the one to whom we are to be so grateful that thanksgiving would pour forth from our hearts. For he has said, fear not, not out of naive ambition or ignorance, but because he has secured a way that we have been made sons and daughters that we have been declared right before the living God. So would you, God our Father, by the work of your spirit, make us willing and able to worship, to worship you, who is worthy of our praise and our honor. We love you, we thank you, that you have saved us. And we pray, Lord, that you would receive that glory and honor through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.